Hello and welcome to Ecology and Me, a citizen scientist podcast for curious humans. I'm Kate Douglas, curious human, and today we are talking about water and toxins. So I drink a lot of water, a lot, a lot of water. I don't want to brag, but I'm usually the most hydrated person in the room. Thank you very much. I get it from my mom, who once drank so much water that she got water intoxication, also known as water poisoning. Oh yes, that's a thing. But anyways, I love my water and I want the good stuff, okay? Earlier this year, I bought a huge stainless steel water filter to feel extra good about all the water I'm drinking. And when I saw the list of what it filters out, I got a little nervous. I'm seeing pathogenic bacteria, parasites, viruses, trihamylomethanes, pharmaceuticals, inorganic materials such as chlorine, volatile organic compounds, heavy metals, sediment, rust. It really made me wonder, what on earth is all of this doing in our water in the first place? What other toxins are lurking in there? Should I be afraid? I sat down with marine ecologist and dancer Carolyn Hall to get some answers. A marine ecologist is someone who studies marine or or ocean side or ocean based environments, but I would, I'm probably more of an aquatic ecologist because I also look at rivers. And a historical ecologist is someone who looks at the history of what has happened in that place and sort of compares it to where we are in the present. How did we get to? What are the conditions? What are the things that acted upon that place over time to get us to where we are now? And then that knowledge can actually lead to projections for the future. Water in all its forms holds such a history. Like there's such deep history in ice cores of glaciers. Hundreds of thousands of years. We can actually determine what the atmosphere was like. We can actually determine what global events took place. We can determine what creatures were there. And that's fascinating to me that that's held in ice. There is a circulation of surface waters to deep waters that happens. And it's a global, it's a global event. And it can take 500 to 1000 years for that parcel of what for a parcel of water to do that whole cycle. So there's history in that water as well. So this cycle that Carolyn is talking about is called the global conveyor belt. At the North and South Pole, cold water becomes saltier and denser, so it starts to slowly sink and spread. Some water moves into the Indian Ocean, some water moves into the Pacific, and this cold, salty, dense water starts to rise up to the surface as it warms up and moves towards Greenland, and ta-da! The cycle is complete. And this conveyor belt helps to keep the climate on Earth stable, but lately, scientists have noticed that this circulation has been slowing down even more. That's right, you heard me, even longer than a thousand years. And this, along with climate change and rising temperatures, might bring even more extreme heat to areas around the globe. Gulp. Moving on to my other scary question. Are there toxins in my water? Well, my first question was tap water or wild waters? And let's say tap. Let's say, well, actually, I want to know both, obviously. <laughs> so, I mean, the answer to both is yes. <laughs> the short answer. But for tap water, the concerns are what levels, what levels of toxins are present. And there are EPA levels, EPA standards. There are state standards. And the question is, are they below those legal limits? And if they are below those legal limits, can they still have a health impact? 
what kind of toxins are we talking here? <laughs> um, okay. So I wrote this down so that I would be sure polyfluorinated substances, substances such as chloroform. So these are potentially cancer causing. Don't you in the old, in old movies, don't they put chloroform over your mouth to make you pass out? There are trace amounts that are below the legal levels. And I'm going to say this right now. I drink New York tap water exclusively. I do not buy bottled water. So I'm just going to say that. It is okay. Well, at least according to the CDC. Would you like to know a little more about chloroform? Because I sure would. Chloroform, also known as trichloromethane, is a colorless liquid with a pleasant odor and a slightly sweet taste. Perhaps like a summer tea? Maybe? It was used as an anesthetic during surgery for years until we learned that it doesn't have the best effect on the liver and the kidneys. Most of the chloroform found in the environment nowadays comes from chemical companies and paper mills. It's also found in wastewater from sewage treatment plants and drinking water, to which chlorine has been added. So it's very common. It's in the air, food, and water all over the place. But in very small amounts, we're talking micrograms here, one millionth of a gram. So we can breathe, eat, and drink a little easier, hopefully. You know, there are um, environmental watchdog groups that are focusing on tap water, and they have a much more sensitive measurement and a, and a much lower threshold of tolerance that they would like to see the standards at. As we know, there are better and worse tap water systems in our country. The other big contaminant that gets talked about is lead, and that is a serious contaminant. And um, but as also we would suspect, parts of our communities that are more disadvantaged have a bigger problem with that because the infrastructure is less maintained and old lead pipes are the main culprit for lead in your water. And now for a little more about lead. According to the CDC, lead is a bluish-gray metal found in small amounts in the Earth's outer layers. It can be found all over, but much of it comes from human activities like burning fossil fuels, mining, and manufacturing. Because of health concerns, the amount of lead in products like gasoline, paint, ceramics, and pipes has been reduced in recent years, but lead can still enter drinking water when plumbing materials containing lead start to corrode. You can't see, taste, or smell lead in drinking water, so you have to get it tested to know for sure. Lead is especially dangerous for kids who are at risk because of their smaller size and developing brains. We'll include some more resources on this in the show notes. Okay, that's from the pipe. But in wild water, we wouldn't really see lead out there, would we? I mean, it depends. depends on what's running off from old lead pipes or other, you know, man-made things, but wild waters. Yeah. Wild waters have toxins too. Any waters around a city will have runoff issues. So, so things that are from your lawns or things that are from parking lots or things that are from businesses or anything else that has spills, you know, things like that will run into wild waters. When there is rain, a lot of the, the sewage systems that we have in place they can't take up all the extra water. So even a tenth of an inch of rain an hour is too much for our sewage treatment plants for it to run through. The overflow of the sewage combines with pipes that are with runoff and those go straight into our waters. That's why after it rains, you're not supposed to swim, you're not supposed to fish, you're not supposed to harvest shellfish <laughs> and they block off beaches and stuff like that. You hear that? No swimming after it rains. Or after you eat. 
That's what my mommy used to tell me after she had me drink some more water. Anyways, Carolyn notes that the waters near our home of New York City are actually pretty clean right now, besides the occasional sewage pipe issue. We're also in a place where the water gets flushed regularly from the tides from the ocean, from the mass amounts of water coming down from the Hudson River. There is a lot of circulation. So the waters are actually pretty clean, unless it rains and you're near one of these outflow pipes. Um, and so that you can fish in them and you can swim in them. And I do also, also like drinking tap water. I swim, I wade, I kayak, I do all that stuff in New York City waters because the Clean Water Act actually did a huge service to cleaning up the water in New York and in a lot of cities. Get ready. It's time for me to geek out over some environmental policy for the first and definitely not the last time on this podcast. The Clean Water Act of 1972 aimed to, quote, restore and maintain the chemical, physical, and biological integrity of the nation's waters, end quote. And it's pretty flippin' cool. It established rules for pollutant discharge, established pollution control programs, funded sewage treatment plants, and so much more. Really, I strongly suggest giving it a read on a Friday night. It's very romantic. The only other place that I would suggest not digging into are the sediments at the bottom, because the sediments have layers and layers of pollutants that have settled down there. Is there ever a way to clean that? Is that something that scientists are thinking about now? Yes, it's expensive and takes a long time. That's what Superfund sites are attempting to do, like the Gowanus Canal. So it's dredging and removing of the sediment in order to actually remove it or detoxify it. All of it is expensive. All of it takes a long time. And then what do you do with it? So recap. Yes, there are toxins in our water, like chloroform, which is manageable, and even lead, which is not so manageable. I definitely want to learn more about clean water access and sewage treatment plants, don't you? I spoke to Carolyn about tons of other fascinating questions that I received from listeners and friends, like, what's the difference between hard water and soft water? What is acid rain? What would happen if all the ocean water turned into fresh water? So if you want to hear more, visit my Patreon where I'm releasing even more content. That's at patreon.com slash ecology and me. Thank you for listening in. I'm Kate Douglas. Keep asking questions. This episode was recorded, mixed, and produced by me. Theme song is by the amazing Matthew Dean Marsh. Follow us on social media at ecology and me.